Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Brian, and this is the Stream Close-Up Podcast. Our guest this week is Michael Cross. Michael is a creative director who's produced both film and television, as well as music videos and ads. His films include The Dark Psalm 21, featuring Jonas Momhu, and more recently, Viet Scrap, or White Trash Geared Up, about the effects of methamphetamines on a small town, starring Ulla Rapace. Uh, Michael is perhaps best known as the co-creator of the crime series Alex, together with Gago Mircic a former guest of the show. Alex is a prime example of the strength of Scandi Noir. It's a dark police drama that's been picked up across the world. In the UK, it's on Channel 4, where you can find it as part of the Walter Presents collection. And by the way, Walter will be our guest on the next episode of Stream Close-Up, so be ready for that. Uh, Alex is on Canal Plus in various markets, via Play in Scandinavia, Amazon Prime in France and elsewhere. And you can find it on MHZ Networks if you're listening in the States. Definitely worth checking out if you're into Scandi Noir. Alex. Michael is very active on social media and has become a well-recognized critical voice when it comes to content creation and corporate communication. He's a great follow. You should definitely check out his Instagram account. It's at Michael Cross. That's M-I-K-A-E-L-C-R-O-S-S at Michael Cross, M-I-K-A-E-L, on Instagram. We'll talk with Michael about his work and how he evolved from a street graffiti artist to MIP TV's producer to watch. It's been a while since we've done this, so please excuse me if I'm a little rusty. In for his stream close-up, Michael Cross. Hit it, Jose! the show michael cross thank you so much brian well, so happy to have you thanks for taking the time to come up uh well just you know you're here because you're a creator you've got a really nice track record in film and television uh we'll drop a little accolade you were recently named the producer to watch at mip uh in 2020 and i guess that's the last one right did they do one last year um, no, I think that was the last one. So you're the producer, yeah. you're the current producer to watch, according to MIP. Uh, you're someone very much in the ecosystem that we try to explore on the show. Uh, but even more than that, I mean, where you talk to writers, producers, directors, you're definitely a producer. But you're also emerging sort of as a critical voice in the TV and film industry when you're very active on social and other places. And uh, in this season's Stream Close podcast... We're going to try to focus a little bit more on some of these industry questions as well as the pure creative side. So we thought you would be the perfect guest to kick off season three. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brian. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. And, and before we get into the here and now, which we'll definitely get to, 
uh, as is our way here on Stream Close Up, we want to hear a little bit more about your backstory, sort of how you came to be a producer and this prolific content creator. Uh, you're a Stockholm guy. Um, did you know you wanted to do this from the jump? I mean, at school, were you producing things? Uh, wh when did, what was the tipping point? When did it become apparent to you that this was your place? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I always, uh, I'm born and raised in an um, entrepreneurial kind of family. You know, mother and father had their own company. And um, I've also been extremely creative from start. Um, and that was also a way, like, when when I was growing up, I was growing up in a place called Skogos, which is uh, south here of uh, Stockholm, a suburb. And uh, a lot of my friends were choosing, like, criminality or drugs. And I didn't feel like going that way. And the only way to go was to be with the creative guys who did graffiti and hip-hop. So that was actually the, f the first start of going into the creative spaces, you know. Um, but pro producing movies, that came much later on in life, but much, much later on. But, but when you talk about graffiti and hip-hop, that is okay, like you say, that is, that is a creative outlet. Are you, are you doing music? Are you doing videos? I mean, are you just tagging? What are you, what are you no, doing? No, back then it was just tagging. But, but for, for me, graffiti was, was a form of, you know, we were very inspired by, by what was going on in, in, in New York by that time. And... Yeah, we did a lot of crazy things back then. Always adapting the best of American culture yeah, here in Sweden. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, and uh, one of my favorite photographers is also from New York. Um, the, oh, I can't remember her name now. But she was in Stockholm, a great woman. She did the graffiti books. Um, and so I, I, graffiti was a way for me to get out from, you know, the drugs and criminality that a lot of my friends were doing back in the days. Um, so that was what's, you know, in one way, I got a lot of creativity out from it, you know. I had a lot of expressions in me that I got, that I, because of graffiti, could get out, you know. Um, and we did everything. We painted murals and trains and stations. And so it was a little bit, you know, a little bit of ex excitement in that, too. Yes, um, some adrenaline in the art. <laughs> definitely, definitely, you know. Um, but I was more for doing beautiful pieces and we went around Europe on this kind of uh, uh, trips, uh, painting in different cities, Berlin and uh, uh, Copenhagen. Uh, stop, slow down now. How does that happen? Is that like sponsored by... No, 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 no. You guys are on the road having... Okay, it's... A, it's you know, a, it's like a community. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah like sure, the, sure. It's like a community and you get to know all the like, great people around the world uh, with, with the same interest. And this is before, you know, Google. And so it's like you meet at these kind of parties and you talk, and you have the same interest. And they're like, yeah, come to Copenhagen. You can sleep at my place. And we go there and have a fun time and paint some, you know. So it was like, I really loved the whole, like, culture behind it. So like-minded people connecting Definitely. all over the place. Tell me, do you work with any of these people now? I mean, imagine that some of them have taken similar paths into sort of de yeah. development. A lot of them have actually gone into, like, the, the um, uh, you know, ad agencies or become creative directors and uh, those kind of work titles um, and of course I have one of my absolute closest friend is from that area from that time when we did a lot of stuff together uh, which was really fun interesting evolution yeah. so, so, so when do you make the when do you make the transition then into sort of doing some productions I see yeah you know uh, on your IMDP page there's reference to music videos I imagine those are some of the earliest things that you're working on yeah so so th that was um, a long story short was that uh, after graduation from school, I didn't know what to do. Um, so I applied for another school uh, that was music business. They had this kind of music business um, education. And I got into the school, moved uh, to a place called Nishaping, where they had the school, two hours from Stockholm. And I studied there. there. And I, a friend of mine who... Uh, she had a friend of hers that was in this reality kind of sh so show called the Paradise Hotel. And this was like the first Paradise Hotel when it was big. You ne know? Never heard of it. No, <laughs> no. Back then it was really big. Sure. Um, and she was like, "Yeah, my my friend is um, she's one of the stars in this uh, Paradise Hotel kind of show. She wants a manager. You know, would you be interested?" So that was my first like glimpse. So I started managing people um, and. This uh, star from this Paradise Hotel was the first one that I managed. So that's how I got into the like 
music side first, right? L- let me ask real quick now. So Paradise Hotel at this point is a purely linear play. There's no yeah, streaming. No, that, that, was no streaming. Yeah, okay. that was before that. Yeah. That was ten years before streaming even came to like, you know, the big time. But anyway, so I started with management, and then I because I got to know these entertainment uh, journalists and and those kind of people, I started to also work with PR. So suddenly I was doing PR for music artists, um, as well as management. But after a while, I was getting tired of ho- that whole thing. I didn't feel that it gave me something. Uh, you know, I was like, sure, it's fun to go and you know get the first pages in in prints and everything, but it didn't give me anything as a human being. Um, so I didn't find any satisfaction in it. And then one, one, a friend of mine who was a music video director, we had a lunch together and he told me, Michael, you should start producing. You're gonna give us a name, let's give him a credit? Yeah, Tabo Malmen. Okay. Tabo. So Tabo was a music, yeah, was his music video director and he, we had this lunch and he said it to me like, Michael, you should start producing. And I didn't even know what producing was. Um, so I was like, what is that? And he's like, you don't need to worry about that. The only thing you're really good at is that you get shit done. That's I, I really I really love that you don't have to worry about that. Because there is yeah. <laughs> there is there is something mystical about, you know, what is producing. If it if it means, you know, building the set and getting coffee, sometimes that's what it means. If it means, you know, getting the writers and getting the talent, sometimes that's what it means. You know, it's this wide range. Yeah. It's fun. Because what I learned was that producing is actually all about solving problems all the time. Like you, you get a shitload of problems and you need to solve it. So you have to be a good problem solver and you have to be good at people. Um, and we, I, I, I think three weeks after that first lunch, we had a meeting with Sony BMG, who at that time had uh, the Idol concept, Swedish Idol. Mm-hmm. And they needed a music video for their winner, uh, who was Marie Picasso at the time. And... Um, I remember feeling so scared because we, I had no clue what I was doing and they needed the music video. So we went there and it was like, you know, we came to this huge building, got into this really nice conference, you know, kind of room, five, six and top A&Rs from Sony there. And I was like shit scared, but I couldn't show it to anybody. So I just you know, kept my poker face on and the meeting went really great. So we had a really good long meeting and uh, we got a video in the end of the meeting. And the funny thing was that they actually forget to ask me if I had done anything before because we just talked about everything else. So, so, <laughs> so you, you, you did something right in the room, that's for something sure. Something right in the room. And um, and I think a week later, we, we were standing on set um, at Mary Picasso doing that video. It was a three-day video, and I just fell in love with the whole craftsmanship. The the the, the balance between business and creativity was something that I really fell in love with. Now, that's an amazing starting point. I mean, usually you're scraping, you know, trying to do a DIY kind of thing and build your way forward. Yeah. Here you have an, a winner off of a pretty big platform, Idol, yeah. so they're going to launch. And that's a, that must have been a tremendous, like, learning experience for you those, those days and weeks. Definitely. It was all about learning, you know. We didn't have any money for insurance even, so if the camera would, you know, go into the ground, we that, that would cost like 50K or something like that. The hard lessons of producing. Yeah, de- definitely. <laughs> but I was like, you know, in, in, I have a kind of mindset where, you know, sometimes you just got to say, fuck it, do it, you know, and risk some. So, so you do a couple of music videos, but I imagine that that's sort of, you know, even in the best of cases, it's not like you have an assignment every week. You know, you move from assignment to assignment. There's a bit of a hustle behind this kind of an industry. Yeah. You know, you always have to be out there meeting new people, networking. Um, that's 80% of the game, actually. It's like just meeting new people, networking, getting the, the that correct, you know, network uh, and relationships with people in the industry. Okay. So apparently you pulled it off successfully over time because, you know, you, you, you we're not even scratching the surface here of sort of your catalog. Yeah, it's, it's all about finding, you know, it's not about you have to know everything. It's about finding the right people and put them into the right places. So even if I didn't have a clue of producing what I was, I knew that I had to find the right people and put them into the right places, you know, like finding the right uh, DOP or finding the right di- director. And, and if you do that, everything will turn out great. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself now, but you've been doing this for a number of years. You've worked yeah. with a number of people. Have you built up an ensemble, for example? Do you have a go-to team that you start your next project with? 
It's a balance. I have a go-to team if I need it, but I'm always like, I, and that's also the reason why I started with with uh, social media very very early on. Uh, I think it was back in 2012 I started with social media, and the reason with that was not only to inspire people to show the behind the scenes of how the industry you know works, but also to find like key people, find those golden people that haven't gotten the attention that they deserve so i will in the future be able to pick them like so if i would say to go to la or or spain or even bulgaria today i know exactly who to call and that maybe it's not in my like closest range of network but i know that they will do a good job anyways and that's 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 years of uh, invested time and putting in the work to get definitely, to that point definitely so so i want to sort of we'll jump around a little bit but you 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 get you put in your time of doing music videos, you know, learning your production yeah. skills, learning what's important, whether you need the insurance for that camera <laughs> or not. Yeah, uh, and then you transition to your first for, your first feature film. Yeah, Psalm Twenty One. Yeah. So so who are you doing that with? Like, what's the production company first of all? That was uh, Fredrik Hiller, the director. He had his own production company, but the story behind Psalm Twenty One was that. Tavo, the guy who tricked me in the first place uh, into the industry, he was like, Michael, this would, the, the whole thing with music videos went really smooth. Um, we, are going to, we are going to do a movie. We don't have any money at all. Um, would you like to be a part of you know, creating the movie with us? And I was like, once again, I said, sure, fuck it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we, uh, and I took the cab driving license. I started to work as a cab driver driving nights. And then I was working with the movie uh, during the daytime, mostly with with PR and marketing, but also executive producing, like helping to try to find finance. And yeah, it was a hard time. It took six years to make that movie. So it was <sighs> wow. It and was a struggle. Yeah, but I mean, nothing comes easy. That's a recurring theme on this show. I mean, very people, very few people just get that big break out of nowhere. Yeah. Usually, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And apropos that, you know, while you're doing Psalm 21. You're also working a day job or I guess a side job, night job. You're driving a cab. But it was almost, you know, it was, even if it was a side job, it was full time. It yeah. was like truly full time. From you start at four in the afternoon and you quit at six, seven in the morning. So you work 13 hour shifts, shifts in, in the cab. So when they say they have no budget for the film, that means you have to go figure out a way to put food on your table while you're doing it. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah. And on social media recently, you shared something that happened during this time frame while you were driving mm -hmm. that feels like it's something right out of one of your productions. <laughs> can, can, can you share that with us? Oh, my God. You know, uh, first of all, driving a cab, especially in nighttime, because people are different nighttime uh, versus daytime people. And you, you know, I think I've saved life three times in, in the cab while driving. And, uh, you know, a lot of inspiration for the, the show Alex uh, in terms of style and feeling and the whole that whole thing came from uh, something that I brought from my experience while driving in a cab. Nighttime Stockholm yeah, vibe. Like, yeah, because you were out there on the streets. You saw the real police, like the real deal. Uh, and you were driving them as well. You 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 are driving everything from billionaires to. So you were getting messed around by corrupt cops while you were out driving your cab. Is that what you're implying? <laughs> no, definitely not. But you can really see them, like you, the, the the ones you don't see normally, you know. And it it was really interesting, and you learn a lot from people. And you know, I've been driven. I think I've driven around fourteen thousand people in the cab only in Stockholm. So it's been some crazy years and that incident which you are speaking about was one incident when i was going to pick up a customer uh, who had ordered a cab in in Frihamn in stockholm which is by the docks and it was quite late that night uh, in january so like late cold night nothing good ever happens at the docks anywhere yeah <laughs> exactly and the funny thing is that all the movie companies had their like you know their their headquarters down in the docks but anyways uh, so I was waiting there for the customer, and then suddenly I see this this group of people, uh, you know, coming running towards the car, a, a bit far away, but they are running. I see one person especially is having an advance, and I see a couple of people running behind this person. And this guy who I think was chased came up to the car, and he just told me, like, these guys are going to kill me. They're going to stab me. They're going to kill me. You have to help me. And I was like, sure thing, you know, jump in. So just like, just when he's about to jump in, the, the door is still open. The, the, what we would call bad guys come out to, go, they come to the car. And 
it's just like they start a struggle to they're trying to open the door door and this guy who just jumped into the car is trying to close the door so they just they are just struggling you know how to get him out and he got the door closed and i just put the um, what you call it the central lock system so the door was locked and then one of the guys outside of the cab jumped in front of the cab and he just pulled out a gun so he had the gun and just aimed it towards us and you know my whole team of life is just sometimes you have to say fuck it <laughs> as you can imagine now and that was the same there it's like i had nothing to lose like if i let him go then they will probably kill him on the spot so i at least i could do is to try you had everything to lose but go on yeah so so uh, um so this guy pulled out, out the gun and he was standing there and I was just trying to, to you know, put in reverse in the car, but they were just everywhere and they were just banging on the windows trying to, you know, yeah, get him out from there. And f some magical thing happened and we just got away from them. And a further magical thing happened. They got busted for it. Yeah, actually, they got busted. And that's, that's also a real interesting story because I didn't tell you in the in the post, but when we were driving from that area, this guy who was who I, I was driving, he was like, drive me home, I'm this address. I will pay you. I have cash. It's no problem. And then suddenly I see on the cab phone, you know, like missed calls. And it was calls from the cab company. And they never call. It's like they never call. And suddenly it's like five missed calls, six missed calls. And I know, if, and I knew that if I would answer, it would go on the, the 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 speaker in the car. So I couldn't answer the phone, you know. And I see like 10, 15, 20, 30 missed calls. I'm like, something fishy is up here, you know. And we are on our way to this location where I'm going to drop this kid off. And a young kid, like 20 years old or something like that. And then we get there and I drop him off and I come down the street and I'm suddenly surrounded by, I think, four or five uh, police cars and even a chopper <laughs> was in there. Uh, so they had actually been following us, even if we took like small roads because this guy didn't want to take the, the main road because we could be chased mm -hmm. by the other guys in the car. Um, so, yeah, it was just a surreal feeling, the whole thing. Well, but, yeah. So, uh, it, I mean, again, feels like something taken right from one of your productions. <laughs> have, have, have you tried to for, sort of film this? Have you tried to write nah, this down? No, no, no. no. Well, like, why not? <laughs> Maybe in the future. Who knows? Who knows? But it was an interesting experience. And um, they, they, as you said, they caught the guys who, and they did like a warrant on their car. And they found this sort of shotgun and, and knives and everything in the, in the car. So. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And the next day, after a long night driving, you drag yourself back to the production. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and, and that... You know, I, and that was only one occasion. I, I think I had a couple of those kind of a, um, stuff happening when, when I was driving. And how was that on that experience then? Six years, did you say, from idea to yeah. release, theatrical release? So what was that experience like? It's like hitting a stone wall. Like you are a creative. We were a couple of friends. We are really creative. And when we were trying to get like uh, help from the industry, it was hitting a wall. Um, they just laughed at us, uh, like you're not gonna make it. And I, you know, working now with my with the experience I have, I totally understand why they said, told us like we're not gonna get it because we had like only 50k or 40k to make a whole feature film, uh, which is crazy low budget, and we had never done a feature film before. 20 seconds of film. <laughs> yeah, that, that maximum, <laughs> maximum, you know, and so a lot of people in positions back then had also, you know, fought very hard to get into those positions. But I think the problem with, and this is kind of mindset, that when you get to a certain position, you feel like you don't want to share how you got there. It's like you don't want to share that. You have to experience it yourself. Good people bring you along, bad people. That's, a, that's just a, you know, binary yeah. decision about how you go So I behave. think it's, it's a mindset. Yeah. So and that's also the reason why I started with social media just to because I didn't want to become like them. Like mm. I told myself that if I become this kind of person in the future with power, then I will never let go of the people. I will never forget where I came from. Uh, so for me, that was a very important decision, especially when I started with social media, just to show people and give advice with people if they reach out. Uh, remember that I came this path as well. Uh, I saw in your, just we're getting a little again back and forth on things, but I see you have your own communications company and on your site you have some nice tools for young creators, people who want to make a pitch, who have templates and things like that that are yeah, available. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's good, so you're trying to pay it forward a little bit. Definitely. Um, so from so six years, then you're learning that it's it's no easy task to make a film. I mean, I think that's an important lesson for everybody. But you guys get it done. It must feel so satisfying when you. When oh yeah, I you know I remember the the Swedish Film Institute. They have this kind of the the uh, you know winter and summer showcases of mm -hmm. movies coming up, and we were all in the um, the theatrical. You know, they have this kind of presentation with all the hot shots from the movie industry. And uh, everybody who's dissed us, you know, everybody who's told us now, they, no, they are in the, the audience. And the first thing the presenter says, like, okay, we're going to start off with a song. And she says it as a joke, of course. Uh. And then we knew that's a presentation of our movie. So that felt really good that we got it out there uh, and we got it on theatrical uh, release. And it, was, it was a really good feeling. It was six years of hard, hard work. Uh, congratulations first on that. I mean, I, I have full respect for, for just staying with it and getting it done. Uh, so you've got more than your 10,000 hours by now at that point. Definitely. A and so then your next move is moving on to join a production company? Um, yeah, so I, my friends Tabo and that gang, they want to do this kind of zombie movie, and I wasn't that into zombies. I want to do more like action, you know, more... I had watched a lot of crime shows from the States, uh, especially the, the, the Shield, which is one of my favorite shows. Excellent show. I love that yeah. show. And so I wanted to make something that had that kind of feeling and tone of the streets. And back then, this was 2010, uh, 2010, 2011. And back then, the stuff going on television was like TV quality. I don't know how to say it, but like less quality back then. Mm -hmm. the, the movies had high quality and the, the things went on TV was lower quality. Because there was much less competition for those TV eyeballs, so you could get away with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and um, so I wanted to, to, to bring that kind of sense of, you know, on the streets feeling uh, with that higher quality as well. And so that started to, to you know, spin around in my mind. And I met uh, Dragon Mirsic, who's the actor in, in what would become Alex later on. Who just released his uh, autobiography yeah, this week. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, really great guy. And I had met him because my friends were doing this kind of pilot teaser thing for their zombie movie. And Dragomir was going to play one of the zombies. So I went to, this, to the set and we became friends. 
and we just started to talk together about what we wanted to do. And he, he was in the same kind of uh, ideas. So we just put our heads together and, and started to 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 make something out of it. And I'm not a scriptwriter, so we didn't have any scriptwriters or anything. We just started to share ideas. He, he's a very interesting guy. He's an earlier guest on this show. Uh, we had him up to yeah, talk about Alex guy. when it was released. His story is just fascinating. I mean, what, what he's been through and, and where he's he is now. He's been through a lot. You know, he's yeah. an inspiration and he's been through a lot of things, yeah. yeah. Um, but jumping into Alex, I mean, that's something I'm assuming that didn't happen for you overnight. But you have another credit that's sort of a little off offbeat here for Elsa's Wald. Yeah, yeah, and, Elsa's Wald, yeah. And, and I, I don't bring, I mean, you're talking about sort of your style, you know, is more yeah. darker and this is something completely different. But I think it's very interesting because of its place and time. Because that was a show that, what are we talking about, like 10 years ago maybe? Yeah. That was a show that was one of the early shows that was specifically produced for streaming distribution. Yeah. You know, this was a time when Netflix was sort of a novelty still. We probably yeah. weren't in a world of, you know, Via Play and Seymour and, you know, D Disney Plus certainly didn't exist and HBO hadn't gone Nordic yet. Uh, so, I mean, so when you're working on that, and I know, you know, there were other people as well, but are, are you sensing that it's a tipping point that's about to happen or do you just feel like it's a one-off project at the moment? No, no, no. That was actually the reason because the, the I was just I just started at a, at a company called Trevenner Free Friends, mm. uh, which later bought up by SF Studios. So it became SF Studios, but anyways, uh, and they were like, we we had this season one of Elsa's World, and we're gonna do season two. It's for streaming, and it's you know uh, we don't have that kind of budget for it. it was quite a, kind of limited budget for it. Um, but it it was one of the first like four streaming, so that maybe like spark interest for that project, and we made like twenty episodes. It it, it was gonna be like twenty episodes, and also in twelve uh, episodes running in twelve thirteen minutes kind of episodes. So for me that that whole setup was really interesting, and I didn't care even if Elsa's World was was like a comedy. Uh, f you know the the main audience was like girls between. 13 and, and 15, sure. something like that. So it was very far off from what I normally would <laughs> take. But I was like, the, the whole setup of doing a, a show for streaming, uh, a lot of episodes, 12, 13 minutes, um, that was interesting for me. And so you have a sense that something's happening. That's great. That's, re that's really interesting looking back. And this whole idea, I mean, even there, 12, 13, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's 12 or 13 because it's going to be streaming, you know? Exactly. Just, just those little things start to creep in, I'm sure, as a creator. Definitely. You start to thinking about that when you're st telling stories. Um, at as, at uh, Trivener, they so they produced. Um, you know, obviously they're really interesting. That's why they're part of SF Anytime now. SF any SF Productions, studios, yeah, yeah, SF yeah. Studios, uh, Snob Cash. Uh, they also, I guess, had had a lot of those uh, classic Swedish children's properties. Did they do the Pets and Offenders and Sune yeah, exactly. and that stuff? Yeah, yeah. So that must have been a interesting environment to be working in. Definitely. I mean, know, from Snobacash to Sune as well. That's a big span. <laughs> definitely. You know, Trevane was, it, it, it was a really good company. A really, a lot of great creatives, uh, Mikkel Hjort and, and Fredrik Wikström and his brother, Niklas Wikström, Nicastro. You know, it, and especially with this, when we're talking about the children kind of movies, you had Jon who, who did a lot of things there. But it was a great company. It was a more familiar kind of company style. And I really enjoyed working working with that kind of uh, loosely coupled organization, uh, which they were. When you say that, what do you mean? Like sort of your clusters around projects, or it, it's more like if if I, um, like a loosely coupled coupled organization versus versus a tightly coupled organization is that you have like a flat organization. So it's like you you are more innovation. It's more innovation. Uh, people take more responsibility for the projects in other, in other ways it's a lot of more teamwork it's not that um, in a tightly coupled organization it's a lot of processes and rules that also, also often stops innovation in companies mm -hmm. Uh, which is the opposite in, 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 in loosely coupled organizations. I work in software development by day. I understand everything you just said. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. It's about purpose. It's about, it's, purpose. It, uh, it's about purpose, you know, bringing entertainment to the wor world uh, and everybody's in on that journey, which is really... So uh, I want to explore a little bit now. So we talked about how Elsa's World is that sort of a tipping point or just before a tipping point where... 
this hunger for content from all these streaming platforms is about to emerge, which is going to create opportunities for production companies and challenges as well. Definitely. So you have certainly, you know, ridden this wave. Alex is a perfect example. You were commissioned here in Scandinavia by Via Play Nent. It's been picked up around Europe. Yeah. Uh, quite the hit with uh, Dragomir. We were talking about that yeah. a little bit earlier. Can we talk about sort of what could have been better about the environment? You're a producer. You're doing this here in Sweden. What could be better here f for encouraging quality productions? I mean, I see that you talk a little bit sometimes about, you know, uh, everyone's, everyone's producing. Yeah, but there's a sort of a standard requirement if you want to really deliver quality to these windows. Yeah. That's a challenge. I mean, how many how many good producers are there? How many good directors are there? How many people really meet that standard? And sort of just environment environmentally, you know, how does Sweden stack up? You know, is the is the culture department competitive helping, you know, to to draw production here? And, you know, did we have an advantage in the last year and a half during COVID where we basically didn't lock down and other places did? I would have expected sort of a, a explosion of productions here. I mean, do you have any thoughts around this? Uh, there's a lot. I know there was a lot to unwrap oh, there. <laughs> yeah, we could talk, uh, you know, for hours about what I think about that. <laughs> but, <laughs> a few highlights. Yeah, a few <laughs> highlights, yeah. Um, first of all, I think that's, you know, Sweden, uh, you missed the train, actually. I think that we didn't have any tax incentives. Uh, it was really hard to produce stuff. Uh, but from the outside looking in, I mean, I see a lot of great productions coming out of here despite all that. In, yeah, the, it, it is, but it could be done more. Um, and I think the lack of uh, that tax incentives uh, was a really, you know, we also have a lack of people in the industry. We have a lack of uh, film workers. Um, so all the companies uh, now, we, uh, and just for the viewer here, we just like Sweden just launched this tax incentives. I think it will come this next year or something like that. So it's completely new, but we hadn't had it before. And a lot of companies, production companies, they were hiring people uh, you know, line producers and, and producers only with the sole, um, um, what you call it, um, purpose to to try to locate Swedish productions in other countries. Like, if we're going to do a movie in Sweden, uh, the, the idea is based in Sweden, but can we do it in, uh, in uh, can we do it in Bulgaria, can we do it in Spain? So the phenomenon of all the New York-based filming suddenly moving to Toronto and we're supposed to believe this. Exactly. That, that was what we've been seeing, you know. Yeah. So it's like you, and you, you don't need to take all these film workers from Sweden. You can just take the DP, the director, and just go to Bulgaria and, you know, build a set up there. Uh, and it's a shame because we have a lot of great talent in Sweden. So it was a, such a shame to see that people are, are like really high talent. Um, they are just going to other countries as well. Yeah, it's that, Again, at the same time, there, we're seeing via play, I mean, when they did their first year of local commissions, they were doing like a dozen, and now what are they up to, 100, 75, something like that is their ambition on an annual basis. So there's opportunity galore if, if we just take them as one example. Definitely. Um, and it, and it's just like now that's happening. Like the, I know that via play, they were like doing 40, 50 kind of developments a year for different kind of shows. Um and the whole uh, suddenly, like before Via Play, it was only like SVT, you know, Swedish Public Service and uh, television, and you had the Channel Four and Discovery. But they were doing like one, two shows a year maximum, and suddenly Via Play comes into the picture, and like we're gonna do 40, 50, 60. And and other local players doing the same, and that puts pressure on the internationals to also produce local content for the mix. Definitely, because then you have Netflix is coming to to the local market, and they and one thing like in their strategy to in order to grow on the local market, you have to do local productions. So everybody want to do local productions. So suddenly we have like HBO, we have Disney, we have. Uh, Amazon, we have Netflix, and they're like, everybody's, we're going to do 20, 30, 40 shows, you know, a, a year. So it's like just crazy. And the numbers doesn't figure out. Like, we can't do that kind of shows in, like, maximum shows you can do in Sweden is like four shows because we don't have the talent for it. We don't have producers. We don't have filmmakers for it. Um, so it's uh, it's a boom coming. or We are in, a, like, a content boom. But we, I think that a lot of productions will move to other countries. Is there a so? Is do you think that 
the schools are producing enough talent, that there are enough people DIYing their way to being talented enough to meet that threshold to deliver uh, professional content? I mean, do you think we're going to get there? Or? Hopefully. I, I would hope for it. Uh, but right now, it's um, I can't see that happening right now. But hopefully we can, we can, you know, because Sweden has lacked so many years, they haven't done anything for, for the movie industry, uh, especially from the government kind of side and, and the culture politics. Um, so, but you can only hope. Mm. I, I still see that Sweden will, you know, it's a lot of competition. You know, like if I would do a show like Alex and I would put it in Ukraine instead, it will cost, you know, maybe two, three million dollars. Uh, to make versus you know ten times the cost if we would put it in in Sweden. And do you think you could achieve the same quality? Definitely, definitely. If we look at uh, Bulgaria and we look at Ukraine, it's the, their quality is so high. It's like wow, it's Hollywood quality. And especially we, if we look at Bulgaria, for instance, a lot of uh, Nubiana Studios, for example, in Bulgaria, which is this kind of big backlot film studio in Bulgaria, it's owned by an American company called Millennium Films. So they are very used to working with Hollywood productions. So that's the, the only thing you need to bring from Sweden is like, yeah, I'm going to bring the director, I'm going to bring the DP, and then let's you know, uh, bring in the stars from different kind of countries if it's co-production. Uh, and just shoot the whole thing in Bulgaria, and we can fake London, and we can fake Stockholm. So then, so all this demand doesn't really pay off culturally at the end of the day, if that's the mix, if that's the way you create local content. At, at the end of yeah. the day, it's all about money. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the, the, these it's are, a budget these, question. These are all commercial plays. I mean, and there's nothing really wrong with that at all. I'm going to no with that. But let, let's go back to Alex now. Yeah. So Alex is not a SF. Is it an SF production? Yeah, so Chevener got bought up by, by um, SF. And they renamed, rebranded the whole SF production to SF Studios and put Niklas Wikström, or Fredrik Wikström, in charge. Uh, as the head of uh, SF Studios. Um, so it became an SF Studios production during the years. But keep in mind that Alex took about seven years to make. So, but it's you and Dragomir with the idea. Yeah, that was the base. And we also did like a pilot because we didn't have a script. We are not script writers. And, but we did like this kind of, and not American style pilot. It was more like we shot two days uh, action today's drama and we put you know edited together so it looked like a trailer for something mm -hmm. that wasn't you know it was something that could be on tv okay that same quality like the, the but with with our time quality like different quality and that's what we pitched into to to companies the financiers so we didn't even have a script i think the, the so, so the, the if, if we can slow down because this is the process yeah, this is the process that fast fascinates me so you guys decide that all right we're, we're going to try to kick around an idea and see if we can if we can get this anywhere how do you get to those first days of shooting? I mean, that takes a little investment. That takes a little organization. That's how far into the, you say it's six, seven years. How far? For the pilot? How, before, when you, when you first turn on the camera to start shooting your first footage. Uh, that was, I think, um, that took about a year or so. Um, I had actually a meeting with a guy who, who I had met in the cab, like this kind of uh, real estate guy. And he was he really liked the film industry, so... Um, we had a meeting with him and he was like, I'm going to finance it. So we got financing from, from that guy and uh, so we could make the pilot about oh, almost a year or something like that. Okay, and so then you have the pilot and now you have to go sell it, which is a whole other skill set from producing, yeah. you know, but okay, you put that hat on a and what do you do? You go knocking on doors, you try to book meetings, you share, I mean, how, how does it, how does the, it go? the first thing you do is that you have to have like a really great pitch package. Like you have to have a great presentation because we are, you have to, you have to know that people are, we are humans, you know, we, we, we don't make decisions based on logical reasons. We make decisions based on emotions. So you have to have a really strong pitch package uh, that um, that really dives into those kind of human emotions. So we had the pilot, we had a PDF kind of file with pictures, and uh, we did like a fake trailer, a fake poster. Um, but it would it would come off as real as possible, so people would see this kind of package and be like, "Oh, isn't this really?" Yeah, it's um, it's done, isn't it's it? It's done, isn't yeah. it? Like, but we didn't even, we didn't even have a script, you know. I think we had like a, one A4 document with, with 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 the feeling mode and what we wanted to 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 do to create. Um, 
so and that was and also we were really early on so the streaming hadn't taken you know it had hadn't um become big yet uh, but, you, really but, but your timing was good so when the demand started you were you had yeah, a start like, yeah but actually we had channel 4 in the beginning so they were interesting but we had to take away all the things that made the show like the all the the streets kind of feeling we, a lot of the we violence like, we like it but uh, we don't like it the way you're making it yeah because they were like <laughs> we, we have an audience between 13 and 64 and so we had to adjust, uh, adjust the whole which was um to be honest, it was it was not have it was not fun because that was the show, you know. But on the other hand, we would, you know, uh, me in my twenties, you know, being able to create, being a part of creating this kind of show would be amazing. So it would be hard to turn down all that money to make the show. But uh, once again, back then it was only Channel Four and Swedish Public Service. Viaplay was not even existed then. It was MTG, they were called. Netflix wasn't looking for you yet either. Nah, <laughs> Netflix was still licensing stuff. Um, they, were not, they weren't doing original productions on tape. So, so, but you have some track record at this point, you know, so at least hopefully some people will take your calls. Mm -hmm. uh, Dragomir, is he known in entertainment yet, or is he just sort of a criminal profile? What's his... What's his... Uh, no, he was quite known, he, because he had, you know, uh, become big after his Easy Money the the first easy money movie. Okay, so this is after that. So he's yeah, got. So, so he's also got. After. So he's like, So he's got a. He's got a little heat too. Okay, I'm just trying. To, I'm just trying to see the how the package comes together. Definitely. So I think that you have to have like if you have total unknowns, that's a hard thing to sell. So you have to combine that emotional side with also some people from the industry that are like that you can take their like charisma and put into the project like like me. Uh, and just a quick aside. So you're working on this six years. You you know some twenty one had some sort of similar arc. Are you juggling multiple product tr projects at the same time all the time, or does this require your 100% focus? No. Um, while I was working with Alex and developing Alex, um, we, we did a lot of other stuff, like Elsa's World was one of the shows that I did, mm. and also uh, the, a documentary about the Salazar brothers, which was also a, a documentary who I really think... Um, that was a personal project for myself that I brought into the to Trivander. Hold that thought, I want because I want to get back to Alex a little bit. Um, but that's interesting. Why do you choose to do a docu documentary in the middle of all of this stuff that you're putting together? But so so getting back now, you're you're pitching Alex. You have a deal with one player, uh, but it doesn't end up there. How does it transform from TV four to via play? So now we are in like 2014 something like that 2013 14 around that and we see that the whole environment is starting to change we see that they, the you, we, we see the birth of via play we see that they are kicking a lot of their old bosses out the house and replacing them with new ones so something is definitely happening um, and we i think in 2015 we were still in development we have you know i don't know how many versions of the script we had done and if I remember correctly, we were actually going to shoot Alex, but Fira pulled the plug, like, I think a couple of months before shooting. That, so must, that must be so desperately heartbreaking that you've come that far. What, when do you get, the, how, do you, how do they call you? Do they just say sorry or, I mean, are they apologetic? Something like that. Something like that. Um, so we were just standing there and like, okay, what should we do now? And then via play had just like starting to build up and got money in their, you know, in in their wallets. So they were like, we want this project instead. So so, so you'd presented it to them before they were aware of it, or you just went out to them afterwards and said, hey. Yeah, that was after. But you know, it, it was a teamwork. So it was it was we were like five six people involved in that process, um, but. Um, so essentially that ended up in like we, we went to via play and they were like we want this show as it is uh, as you were thinking of it in the beginning so we took a lot of back a lot of those things that we had to cut if we went with channel 4 we could bring that back to uh, when we were doing the show with alex um, at via play and is it still an a4 and your short pilot at this point or have you started no, shooting no we we are we had the, like the first type of script uh, scripts for it uh, we were still deciding, like, okay, is it going to be eight episodes or is it 12 episodes? Uh, we ended up uh, making the show six episodes. It's like a film that's cut into pieces. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's also a hard thing. Like, how do you work 
storytelling wise you know if you have eight episodes that makes you know you can dive into the characters characters more Uh, so it's really strong like creative aspect to that like how do you apply a storyline to six episodes you know the beginning middle and end and how do you apply that um and you have two seasons of alex out yeah so the first season became a huge success when it aired and then we did a second season as well yeah Nice. And and so it's obviously a Swedish production in Swedish, but resonating a little bit outside in other markets as well. Are you getting any feedback? Definitely. That that was very interesting because Alex was is a really brutal series. You know, we work a lot with violence, not in the, the sense that it should be cool in any way. It, it was more in the sense of uh, showing people reality, like uh, showing people... Uh, the the hard truth behind it. So making vi- violence as a as a as a what what you call it in, in um, damn it a, de- a device, but a realism more a, a realism more than say more than yeah, sensationalism. Exactly. So it was more in the scare, yeah. like to scare people off from violence. I I I don't have a good word for it. A uh, warning, yeah, like a, a warning, lesson, like yeah. This, yeah. So it wasn't cool gunshots effects or anything like that. It was like real, so people would like be like, "Oh, this is this is hard." I mean, th- this is the sort of sweet spot of Swedish drama of the moment. I mean, these dark uh, detective sort of series, character-driven detective series. But yours is particularly dark. You guys got it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really dark. Um, so we were a, a bit scared of because if we look at countries as Germany, who's a huge investor in Swedish Scandinavian movies, um, as well as and, and f- uh, if we look at France and, and other countries, but uh, and especially the UK, the, U- the UK, the people in the UK love Swedish movies and Scandinavian movies, mm-hmm. and we were scared that they will think that. And the, the main character also in Alex is very dark, so it's not that likable kind of character, at least not in the beginning. Uh, so we were really scared when the first reviews were going to come, especially when it, the show aired on uh, Channel 4 in the UK. And then the first reviews came, and we were like, wow, they really liked that. They liked the fact that it was dark. They liked the fact that it was an uh, unlikable character. And they liked the whole you know, streets f- thing, which is exactly what people in the beginning told us the reasons why we shouldn't do the show was because of that. They were like, don't do the show. It's too dark. It's too." But that was what people liked when that show came. Yeah, and they were thinking of their specific audience that they were trying to protect and herd in their direction. Definitely. So that was, I mean, congratulations again, you know, from strength to strength, successful theatrical film releases, uh, very successful TV series. You run your own communications shop as well. Yeah, so that started when, when you know, these kind of feature films and TV shows and documentaries and God knows what, they take a lot of time. You know, it takes years. I, I think the the SS world was the fastest one. It took like two years. That was because season one was already done. Uh, as well with the documentary, that's two years. But like my first feature film, five, six years. Alex, seven years. My latest feature film took six years, something like that. So I figured like, okay, what am I good at that I could do in short-term projects? And I also because I love social media, I figured that I should do be doing more like short-form content and communications, and I know that kind of, you know... You keep mentioning social media. What's your handle on Insta? You're doing a live right now? Yeah, I'm doing a live right now. <laughs> People can see me here. Uh, it's Mikkel Kross. Um, hard to, 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 to write, but M-I-K-A-E-L-C-R-O-S-S on Instagram. Instagram is my main platform. That I really like. So I get a sense that, you know, full respect to your storytelling skills, big and small, and your work, you can do brand building. I get a sense that the content, that what you're doing on the side there is sort of the equivalent of your taxi job, you know, that you're, while you're waiting for the next project. Yeah, I really like, because nobody, and, and this comes from the beginning, like nobody was there to inspire us when we started out. Nobody was there to help us when we started out. And I just felt this strong feeling that I don't want to become like them. So that's why I'm so involved in social media and with content production to show people, to inspire people uh, that maybe don't have any inspirations today or maybe don't know where to look or have any questions. And for instance, uh, I had this kind when we started out, uh, we had this investor, he was going to invest in our movie and we didn't know like. Is it VAT on the on the money? How much is the VAT? How many percent is it? So I actually called the Swedish Film Institute to ask them because who should know if not the Swedish Film Institute? And they were like, no, we don't know. 
That's the first answer I got. Thank you for your help. Yeah, thank you for your help. I was like, is this a Swedish film institute, really? So that was like my experience from it. And ever since, I've been very into showing people. And social media is just a platform for me to be able to show people. Well, what advice would you have for a lowly podcaster who's returning from a long hiatus? What kind of advice would you give to me? Document what you're doing. You know, document what you're doing. And um, don't think like that you have to have the best quality of stuff, you know, cameras, just document. People want real life. People want to be inspired and follow real life people. Uh, so just document and put it out there on social media, you know, TikTok and Instagram and whatever there is. And okay. What's coming? I will be flooding you people, you good people <laughs> who are listening. Uh, you can find Stream Close Up also on Instagram at Stream Yay. Close Up. Because you just opened that account. Yeah? Sure. Well, we're just spinning things back That's up, good. inspired by you. That's coming, good. Coming in here, uh, broadcasting Don't live. forget about TikTok. So you, we mentioned very briefly the documentary, The Salazar Brothers. What what draw you, drew you to do that? That came from my background in graffiti and hip-hop. Because when I was a teenager, um, I listened a lot to a lot of Swedish hip-hop artists, especially... Uh, Swedish hip hop artist called a group called Latin Kings. Um, the Latin Kings was which was one of the first like Swedish hip hop uh, groups, and these guys Salazar Brothers they were actually the producers behind a lot of these artists, but nobody knew about them. Like no, not not a like the artists knew about them of course, but no or ordinary people didn't know about that about them. So I really wanted to highlight their stories because I thought that they, as they had come to Sweden from as, as immigrants, and they just, you know, they were doing 80, 90 percent of the most successful music out there were by them. It was a very uh, interesting era, the early hip hop music in Definitely. Sweden. Uh, you know, Infinite Mass. Uh, yeah. These guys. Uh, yeah, it, and it's so cool, and I, I really like. And they were, you know, they were sending so much joy through their work, through their work, but nobody knew about them. So I wanted to highlight their life. And it's interesting. I mean, we had Amir Shamdeen up as a guest. You know, he's someone who who came through that school, who did his ten thousand hours making making the music videos, and now he's you know doing feature films. And he did Cornelius, and he did the Hassel series. It's interesting to see the evolution. Like there's a there's there's a pool of talent that has come through this weird funnel here somehow in Stockholm. Definitely, I, and I'm Amir. I actually met him while I was driving cab. So a uh, great guy, that guy. Very huge inspiration. Very interesting so guy. That was the background why I wanted to do this kind of documentary. And back then, this was 2013. We did that documentary. They didn't believe in that too because hip hop back then was like they just thought it was about weed smoking kids. Uh, and criminality, you know, it's like and crimes, and I was like, no, it's not. It's a community. Community. It's like it's about inspiration. It's about joy. Um, so that was why, why it was really important for me to do that documentary, and we did it. With we, it was through Swedish television, Swedish public service, and it became a huge hit when we it, when it premiered. It was your experience with public service better than your experience with Swedish film industry? How, how was that? It's all about relationships with different contacts. We had a really good contact, um, Eva Beckman at Swedish Television, and uh, and uh, Henrik. God, I can't remember his last name. She was commissioning documentaries at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we had a really good relationship with them, and we got the like the, the freedom to do what we felt was the best for for the documentary. Nice. They provided us, of course, with the context, but we had the freedom to do within that context. I have to admit, I haven't looked at it yet, but you've got me. I'm going to go dial that up when we're done here. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested that. in that whole area, that whole era. Of, so this is a good story for me to, to hear. So you're doing your day job. What's ticking in the back? Can you tell us anything? I know it's hard. It's hard to give away dreams that are on on that are not complete or ideas that you know someone else might run with. But do you have anything in the works that you can share? Um, right now, I'm developing. A, hopefully, it will be a TV show. Uh, together with Anders Nilsson, who created the Van Falk series. Um, but it, it was like, you know, when the pandemic cam- came, we lost everything. It was all the TV shows in development just lost. It, was it that the commissioning stopped, or was it that people stopped coming to the set? No, people stopped taking phone calls because they didn't know what to do with it. Like, the, the whole pandemic just put a hold on the whole industry. And it's not until now, recently, that 
that it's opening up again. So we're going to see. I'm going to take that because we were working with that show just before the, pandi- the pandemic hit. Uh, so we're going to take that show now and, and try to work it with, with, it, with that again. It's going to be interesting to see if there's like a mad rush now of half-finished pro- projects that are coming out. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. Uh, and I think that uh, that's why I mean with the content boom. It's coming. It's coming. And will there be time capsules? Because the world has changed through the pandemic. And the stories, you know, they're pre-pandemic stories and post-pandemic stories. That will be interesting as well. Yeah, to see how they are doing that. Um Definitely, definitely. And also with, with my, we are in, in, uh, in the market for my latest feature film, Geared Up, starring Ola Rappas, uh, which also, the movie was actually completed one week before the pandemic hit. So we had a completed movie uh, and the pandemic hit and we couldn't do anything for a year and a half or something like that. Nobody would take your calls. Um, but then when, when the pandemic was just started to like loosen up a little bit, then we got theatrical release. I think that movie was the first Swedish movie that hit the theater, theatrical distribution. Uh, that must have been a relief, not just for you, but for everyone out there to feel that it's starting to come back to life. Definitely. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to come up and talk with us. Fascinating story. I look forward to seeing what your next productions are. Look for Michael on social media. Look for MikhailCross.com for his communications company if you need help uh, getting your message out there. Uh, follow him on social media. Follow us on social media. And stay tuned for more from the Stream Close-Up Podcast. great getting to know Michael a little bit. Always interesting to learn the genesis of a show like Alex, and how often are we reminded how hard it is to make a film or create a show. Persistence is definitely key. Always impressed by people who've stayed the course like Michael. And now his commitment to paying it forward, also very inspirational. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Michael's latest film starring Ulla Rapaz is now streaming. It's called Viet Scrap on Seymour in Scandinavia and it's known as White Trash Geared Up on other streaming platforms around the rest of Europe. Next week, our guest will be Walter Iusolino, the host of Walter Presents. I hope you'll tune in for that. I'm Brian. This is the Stream Close-Up Podcast. See you next week. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.